there is no time like the 2020s to start a company, to start a startup. You know, with the rise of the internet, you can learn anything at a very low cost, if not for free. You can build anything without needing to know how to code with tools like Bubble and Adalo. And you can get the word out about your products for free by using you know sites like Twitter, Product Hunt, and Reddit. There's no time like the 2020s to build a company. Yet one element of kind of entrepreneurship and company building that hasn't caught up with the times is venture capital. Unless you live you know, in San Francisco or New York, chances are you may know what venture capital is, but you may not really know how it works. You may not know who the good VCs are. And you may not know how they think. So with this podcast of forward-thinking investors, I want to dive into this world. I want to help anyone in the world understand what is venture capital, who are the great venture capitalists, and how do they think about their day-to-day with the goal to help more people understand how it works so they can go out and raise capital for themselves. And they can build billion-dollar companies just like you know Larry did at Google or Travis did at Uber or Katrina did at Stitch Fix. That can be you, but it just takes some education. And I'm using this podcast as a medium to teach everyone more about venture capital. So if you want to learn about it, you want to dive in, you want to meet some awesome investors, stick around, listen to some episodes, and I, and I hope you enjoy. All right. How's it going, everyone? Welcome to another episode of Forward Thinking Founders, where we talk to founders about their companies, their visions for the future, and how the two collide. Today, we have an investor segment. We're talking to Zach Colius, who is a VC who invests in early stage B2B SaaS. Welcome to the show. How's it going, Zach? Good, good. Thanks for having me. Good to be here. Yeah, excited to have you on and looking forward to kind of learning about your investment philosophy. Um, the, the first question I always ask um, investors who come on kind of onto this segment is it's a very common question, but I think it sets good context. How did you kind of find yourself as a VC and how you, what was your path from, you know, first getting into tech to, you know, investing other people's money into great companies? Yeah, yeah. So um, I, I like to say I'm a washed up entrepreneur. Um, spent, you know, roughly... 20 years of my life, basically trying to start companies. And um, the last one was an ad tech company. We started it in 2005 and then uh, sold it in 2015. And after we exited, um, I was sort of like wandering around like a lost little puppy trying to figure out what to do with my life. And this is um, right when AngelList had first started their syndicate product and a company that I had been advising, Branch Metrics, uh, they were doing their A. And I was like, hey, you guys mind if I put up a 200K allocation up on AngelList and see what happens? And they were like, sure, go for it. Um, so I you know, wrote up the memo, why Branch Metrics is a great company and you know, all, the, all the sort of normal stuff and uh, posted it and 24 hours later, it was filled. And I was like, oh, look at that. I'm an investor now. Um, like, no, not much more intention beyond that. And then that year, while I sort of, you know, wandered around like a, you know, sad, wet, lonely puppy trying to figure out, you know, my life, um, I, uh, I stumbled into a number of other investments. And one of them was uh, Cruise Automation, the self-driving car company. I had known Kyle from way back when he first left MIT and, you know, had always tried to hire him, but he was too smart to, to say yes. Um, and uh, so, you know, fast forward a year when GM bought them for a billion bucks, suddenly everyone thought I knew what I was doing and a whole bunch of capital sloshed over and you know, I was kind of off the races and, you know, I've been investing full time ever since last five years. 
Well, so I'm actually interested in in that moment that you just ended on. So you you invest in in, in your buddy ends up being you know this massive massive success in cruise. What, I'm curious, like, can you kind of share, like, what did you do the next day? Like, I don't know exactly, like, how carry checks work, etc. But ultimately, you made a ton of money. Did you just start a fund the next day? Or did, did you just angel invest? You kind of tell me once you got your first big win, what did life look like just short term afterwards? Yeah, I mean, you know, like, for the first three years, all of my capital came from other people via AngelList. Um, and, you know, the great thing about AngelList is the investors on there, they get to pick which deals they want to be involved with, and they invest on a deal-by-deal basis. Um, And so it's a great sort of way to, if you're an investor, to get access to really interesting sort of Silicon Valley type opportunities. And if you're an emerging manager, you know, it's kind of difficult to go out and raise a traditional VC fund because, you know, they've got to trust you with their capital and they're kind of stuck with you. And if it turns out you're an idiot, they've, they're still stuck with you. So like there's, there's this chicken and egg problem of becoming a VC that is, is made it very difficult to, to enter the, the, the game. But Angelus sort of changes that because you come out and you're like, Hey, here's this great deal I have access to. It's being led by NEA. This is a cruise deal, for instance, or the, the branch deal, for instance, being led by NEA. Here's the valuation. Here's all the reasons why this is a good deal. And so for people who are, you know, who don't traditionally have access to Silicon Valley early stage investments, that's a really compelling opportunity. And, you know, they can look at that deal, they can look at the company, and they can make their own individual decision, you know, compared to saying, oh, this guy, Zach, who I don't like, he's never invested before, I'm going to trust him with you know, this big chunk of capital. And so it, it's a great sort of like intermediate step between investing your own capital and investing other people's money. And it gives you a lot more leverage. So, you know, now in a traditional year, I'll invest, call it $20 million of other people's capital. Well, my own and other people's. And, you know, a big portion of that comes from AngelList. And for my backers, you know, it's been, you know, 40 plus percent IRR every year. So they're, and we've had a number of big exits and they're really happy. And for me, it's, you know, it's a lot of leverage because, you know, even given that, given that amount of capital, it just wouldn't make sense from a portfolio construction perspective for me to invest that from my own personal balance sheet. Um, if, even if I had that much, I don't, um, at least certainly not on paper or in cash. Um, uh, so yeah, it's a, it's a win-win for everybody. So yeah, after the cruise exit, you know, I, I just kind of was like, oh, great. <laughs> and just went back to work, right? This is a this is a long, long game. Yeah, I appreciate you sharing all that. It, it's very helpful to kind of get like a little more into the, to the details of how this all works. I'm kind of curious about how you got to your kind of, it seems like your sweet spot in like B2B SaaS. Um, was it, is it very quick? Oh, how would you figure out that that was going to be where you wanted to invest? Was it trial and error? Or did you know from the get-go that B2B SaaS was going to be your domain? Um, yeah. So, I mean, so um, I like to say invest in B2B software, not necessarily B2B SaaS, because some of my businesses are not SaaS businesses. But yeah, I mean, my background, you know, the last couple of companies I started were in sort of were software businesses that were largely selling into the enterprise. And that's just an area that I've, you know, spent a lot of time as an advisor and as an sort of like as a as a as a founder. And it's a it's an area that I, I have a deep empathy for the problem set and the customer set and the the sort of business of building those businesses. And so whereas in consumer you know, I really don't have the ability to look at a consumer 
product and be like, oh, this is better, it's going to work or it's not going to work. That just requires a very differentiated skill set, which I, I just don't have. I'm kind of stupid in that sector. So, you know, I try to generally keep my my focus on areas where I'm not the dumbest guy in the room. And in consumer, I probably would usually be the dumbest guy in the room. So um, whereas in B2B, I'm, I feel more comfortable. And I, you know, I have sent you a few deals and I've always appreciated it because I'm sure I've sent you some consumer deals and you're like, oh, sorry, I just like don't know this space and versus like a lot of investors just waste lots of people's time. You're just like, you, you, you bet on what you know, which I think is great. So let's talk a little bit about um, the market as a whole. Um, you, you you spent a little time talking about AngelList, which I think is like one of the the the, the coolest things that has happened in, in venture in the last decade, um, and like what they've been doing. I'm curious, what are some other things that are just happening macro level in the venture capital industry that you're just like spending time thinking about, whether it be you know deal flow or technology or startups? Like what's going on that you, that that you're thinking about in, in the whole industry? Yeah, I mean, I tend not to be sort of a um I, I'm not necessarily a believer in a lot of these sort of macro sort of thesis ideas that a lot of people love to sort of grandstand about, you know, they're, um, I find them uh, tenuous or tedious in a lot of ways. Um, so I, you know, what I'm looking for is new ideas. And, and what I mean by that is like, you know, on any given day, you know, people send me decks and a lot of them look very similar to the decks I saw the day before. And then I'm pretty sure I'll see tomorrow. And in generally, you make all of your money in this business with normative violations and with insights. And what I mean by that is, is that either, you know, you discover some secret that nobody else knows and you're able to basically execute against that. And that's, you know, there's a lot of businesses that, that kind of figure out something new and cool. And then, you know, they kind of, they double down and double down and double down and they're kind of off to the races or you basically do something that everybody else thinks is dumb or is not going to work, but you can figure out how to actually make it work. Um, and so that's really what I spend all my time looking for. And, you know, there's all sorts of macro trends in this industry that are constantly kind of swirling and everyone's got a thesis on them, but I, I don't feel like I'm the smartest person in the room around those. And I, honestly, I don't think anyone is. I think most of the stuff I hear is just people making up bullshit. So I try to ignore that as much as possible and just kind of just keep hunting for new stuff. And you've mentioned that, uh, that you're, you're like, I guess your IRR, your, your returns have been good and your LPs have been happy. I'm curious, do you have, like, you know, obviously don't have to share anything in the works that you don't want to share. Like, how do you think about growing like a firm or a practice, having multiple partners and help versus keeping it small and having it just be you? Do, do you have a kind of thoughts on, on yeah, th like, do you want to build a bigger firm? Do you want to keep it just you, just, just you and keeping it small? How do, how do you think about that? Yeah, I'm open to anything, right? Like I, I believe that there's a significant amount of inefficiency in partnerships. Like anyone who's dealt with VC firms will know that they just generally suck on many different levels in terms of the way that partnerships work together. There are very, very few partnerships that are that, that are two plus two is more than four. And for many of them, two plus two is less than three in terms of just the coordination issues, the political issues, the infighting issues. Like it's just, it's just a really, really challenging sort of business model, especially when you have nonlinear returns. Cause like, you know, let's say you have like five folks, they all invest in relatively different things. And in a normal sort of scenario, 
um, one of them, uh, you know, hits a home run and the other ones don't. Well, now that home runner hitter, were they good? Were they lucky? Nobody knows, but they always will believe that they're good and everyone else will believe that they're lucky. And so you end up with like a bunch of sort of competition around those sort of issues of who deserves credit and who should get more carry. And it's just, it's a really challenging structure. Um, you know, on the other hand, you know, having had a partner for my previous companies and my sister, you know, she's just so much more competent than I am on so many different levels that for me, like my one plus Susan's five was way more than like what I could have expected to work on my own. So like, it was a superpower to have somebody great to work with. So yeah, I mean, I've not found somebody in this business who I wanted to partner with and, you know, or no one has decided they want to partner with me. So, so far I've been doing it as a solo operator and I might continue to do that. I think it's very, it's very, possible almost probably likely um but yeah i uh i don't know we'll see it's not a very good answer to your question but a truthful one well I don't actually no we'll see what's what's actually what's interesting is you know i i've been you know kind of a little bit on the outside you know maybe more inside recently but like in this industry I, I've, I've been in it maybe for a few years but it's actually not super obvious or clear, what, you know, where where partnerships break down. So even though it seems like, um, or specifically in venture capital, so I thought it was a great answer because, like, I, I didn't like I knew that there was like, you know, problems with partnerships. So I never actually knew why. Um, and now you, you just taught me something, so I appreciate that. I guess like going into that, because it actually is very interesting to me. Do you think that there is a um, like a a, be- a better like model for, for firms or know. for, you don't know, don't like, know. do you, I mean, yeah. where I was kind of like going is like, I mean, I feel like if you look at AngelList, like they're really doing some interesting stuff. Like I, like, yeah, and, yeah. and recently they, they've been shipping, I mean, syndicates, rolling funds, deal partners, AKA scouts. Like do, do, if you had to, you know, if, if you, if you had to guess, like, where do you think AngelList's place in this industry will be? Not even 10 years from now or 20 years from now, but in like two or three years, like, do you kind of see the direction they're going in? I'm curious, like, as one of the basic hits and funds on, on, uh, on AngelList, if you have a perspective there. Yeah, I mean, AngelList um, is super powerful, right? I mean, I've, I was lucky to sort of get sort of escape velocity very early on and then as a result, you know, have been able to see really significant network effects. I mean, there's over 3000 people who invest in my deals on AngelList and they're not just sort of a source of capital, but they send me deals every day. They help me with diligence. They love to point out when I'm being stupid, which is super duper helpful. Like they're just like, it's a superpower to have those people on my team. Um, so I'm a big fan of AngelList um, and they've been really innovative. I mean, I, th- I think the syndicate model is, was, you know, they started with innovating and they've just continued to do more, which is unusual. So I think the rolling fund thing has been really, really awesome. I mean, I have a rolling fund and um, it's a great way for new LPs who want to basically invest behind me, but they want to kind of develop trust over time, or maybe they want to write small checks. It's a great way for them to basically, you know, get involved with what I'm doing. Um, and so I, I imagine I'll always have a rolling fund and, you know, their new um, roll-up vehicle. So let's say you want to take a bunch of small angel checks and they'll basically just roll it all into one SPV and handle it all for you. I mean, that's super awesome. So yeah, I, I, they're very innovative business and, and they're continuing to innovate. Um, uh, I think there are some core issues that they have to continue to work around. You know, like for instance, one problem is it's, 
the syndicates at least don't move very fast. So that's why the rolling fund kind of came out. It works well for doing earlier stage, smaller deals, but um, the syndicates had have some speed issues. Um, there's, there's issues around sort of like making sure that the managers have the proper incentives to do the right thing. You know, so if you can, if you can get other people's money, you know, traditionally in, in finance, if, you know, if you give people OPM, they're just going to blow it and take all the risk. And if they win, great. And if they don't, they don't care. Um, so there's there certainly is a, 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 a component to the business that um, um, they've got to manage around incentives. Um, but yeah, it's a great business, super powerful platform. It's grown a lot. And and I've really been enjoyed being, being part of the team over there. We're working with that team. And uh, just, I think one last topic, and then, we'll, then we'll, we'll we'll call it a podcast, call it a day, is where we actually started off talking um, uh, before we started recording around um, climate and like the, like some challenges that, I mean, not just some challenges, like the challenges that the world is facing. Like, I, I'm kind of interested if you're open to sharing um, in the in the software world or 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 just the world that you know, um, how like. Do you have any thoughts on, on on how technology can can help like the world with climate change and global warming and you know in you know removing carbon? Because um, you, you know you see so much deal flow. I'm just kind of curious if you can share one or two things just about like where 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 the future is in solving this problem. So I think we're all we're all hoping that someone figures it out, but there's not it's not clear what that looks like yet. Do you have a perspective there? Yeah, I mean, look, if I knew how to save the world with software, I would do it. Because, you know, climate change is fucking us all and we've got to fix it because, you know, clearly getting people to use less carbon is just not going to happen, especially not with China doing what it's doing and just dumping, you know, massive amounts of carbon in the air. So, you know, we've got to figure out what we're going to do. And if I knew how to do it, I would do it. Um, I think there's a lot of opportunities, though, because if you go into any emerging market like you have around, you know, managing carbon and, you know, internalizing those externalities and measuring it and, you know, providing insights into what's happening, you know, there's just stuff that needs to be built. So I think for any entrepreneur, they just need to dive into the space and start asking around. And I think very quickly, you'll discover that stuff that needs to be done. Um, you know, I'm an investor in a company called Sinai Technologies that does carbon tracking software. And, you know, I got some insight into the business through them. And it was crazy, you know, in the old days, basically, a, a big enterprise would hire a bunch of consultants, and those those consultants would go out and they would basically audit the carbon footprint of the enterprise, and they put it into a big you know, effectively a book or a deck, and they'd be like, oh, here's, here's your carbon footprint, which is you know, totally stupid, right? Because the carbon footprint changes every day, depending on, you know, the output of the factory and where, how the business is working and how many cars you run and blah, blah, blah. And so, you know, the sign that people were like, well, duh, we're just going to make some software to make this a living document. And everyone in the industry like, whoa, we want that. I mean, it was a total no brainer. And I, I think what you'll see across, you know, the whole carbon ecosystem is there's going to be opportunities like that, where it's a very low, barrier to entry and a very low bar in terms of like, you don't have to innovate. You don't have to create any new crazy technologies. You just have to take existing technologies and apply them to this, you know, relatively new problem. And the, you know, the tide will carry you for a long way. So I think it's exciting. Anyone, anyone working on that space, I think is, is going in the right direction. 
And, uh, you know, that's a great answer. I appreciate that. And I appreciate you coming onto the podcast. I think you're giving us a glimpse into the world of venture that some listeners, if not most listeners, you know, don't really understand. So thank you for coming on. If anyone um, wants to like connect with you on Twitter or website or anywhere on the internet, where's like the best place to find you or kind of share what they're working on with you, you know, online? Yeah. So if uh, you look on my Twitter profile, um, Zach Coleus, you'll see there's like a user manual in there. And that basically describes all the best ways to get in touch with me and how to work with me. And um, it's like my, uh, my personal little cheat sheet. Um, but yeah, if you're pitching, feel free to email me a deck. It's z at coleus.vc. Um, if you email me without a deck, I'm just going to delete it. Um, and uh, if you're, you know, if you're looking to engage, Twitter is, I spend a lot of time on Twitter. It's kind of a fun place. And uh, yeah. Just try to be useful to the world. Okay, I do have one last question because you, you opened up the rabbit hole. What what is it with with Twitter? Like, I mean, I obviously love Twitter. You know, Twitter's huge in tech. But like, can you tell me why you, a VC that has all this like money to deploy, like why I spend time on Twitter? Like for people that maybe may not know what the power is. Well, I mean, I have pretty bad ADD, and so Twitter's like crack to me. So you know, it's full of new things. There's always something new there, and. You know, I like new things. It's my my thing, uh, my shtick. Um, so you know, it's it's proven to be valuable. I've built a lot of interesting relationships on there. You know, I I, I now can 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 create awareness through through the platform, which is pretty cool. I'm not like a monster influencer, but you know, I've got some followers, so I can I can I can actually spread the word about things. Um, and you know, I just I think it's fun. Yeah, if you're, if you're listening to this and you're not on Twitter, time to get on because that's where, especially if you're not in a hub, um, it's, it's a great way to connect with people like Zach. Zach, thank you so much for coming yeah. on to the podcast. I really appreciate it. Good talking to you. Enjoy the rest of your day.